Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This is an RNZ podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Slevin, sitting in for Simon Morris. This week on another special streaming edition of At The Movies. Drummers talk about drumming. The basis of the song was a da-da-da-da-da. In my head, I'd still be feeling, where does the swing come in it? And even if I wasn't playing the note, I'd be thinking it. Benedict Cumberbatch plays a monster made of reanimated body parts. Only now when you run wild, there will be two of you and double the destruction. Why should I facilitate this? Because I am lonely. Meryl Streep is a celebrated author taking her oldest friends on an Atlantic crossing. What I don't understand is how people, how you can read the, the, the prose just... That kind of writing seems to me like the the prose seems like styrofoam or something. And a voice in Kevin Costner's head tells him to build a baseball ground in his cornfield. If you build it, he will come. Okay, you must have heard that! Sorry! I know that last one doesn't sound all that new, but bear with me. There's a method in my madness. And we had a little, like, black and white TV set. So the TV show was on. Off they go, and I've gone... Oh, who's that, Dad? That's uh, Dave Brubeck called it, so. No, no, who's having a drum set? Oh, that's Joe Morello, son. Wow. I said, that's good, in here. I said, I just want to be like him. You'll never be as good as Joe Morello, because my dad's before. And I'm like, that's me, Dad. I was talking to a film reviewer colleague the other day and we were discussing whether we are in a golden age for documentaries. It certainly seems like it, but even if we just take the subset of music documentaries, the riches are many and varied, especially for those boomer documentaries that focus on music from the 60s. They're coming out of our ears and you can tell that there is a pressure to get these stories told before the participants disappear. One recommendation I'd certainly make on that score is the two-parter Laurel Canyon on Doc Play, which takes a reasonably deep look at the entire community of singer-songwriters who formed around cheap, semi-rural housing just a ten-minute drive away from Hollywood Boulevard and the Troubadour Club. Netflix has an excellent selection of documentaries about music, excellent selection not always being something you can say about that service. Dolly Parton's Here I Am is a great watch about a magnificent human being. And there are terrific films about Lady Gaga, Nina Simone, Quincy Jones and Miles Davis. 
They also have a series called This Is Pop, which we're slowly working through, where each episode takes on a different topic from recent pop history. The rise of the R&B boy bands in the early 90s, auto-tune, the merging of country and pop, and the post-ABBA influence of Sweden on the hit parades of the world. And on Apple TV Plus, there's a series called 1971, The Year That Music Changed Everything, which also contains eight episodes and is made by the director of Senna, Amy and Maradona, Asif Kapadia. While we're all in some form of lockdown, longer can sometimes be better, but there's a shorter subject I want to recommend today, an 80-minute diversion about the world of rock dramas with the fantastic title Count Me In. Every now and then, even punks on amyl nitrate got to chill. There's only... The, the sniffing glue will only get you so far into the evening. Uh, and uh, so they got to chill. But there's no chill punk music, because it ain't punk if it's chill. But Don Letts, the, the DJ of the time, figured out that dub reggae would fit the bill perfectly. It's hostile, it's dark, it's really pissed off, but chill. And it was The Clash, credit must be given, who first had the inkling of an idea, hey, why don't us white boys try and play some of that? Count Me In features a cavalcade of drummers talking about their art, including Stuart Copeland from The Police, Emily Dolan Davis from The Darkness, Nick Mason from Pink Floyd and Topper Hedden from The Clash. My favourite is the lovely Nico McBrain from Iron Maiden, who we heard from at the beginning of the segment. All of them are insightful about their contribution to their bands and wonderfully admiring of the work of other drummers playing in different genres. It shouldn't be surprising, but it is, realising how many heavy rock drummers like McBrain or Ian Pace from Deep Purple or Stephen Perkins from Jane's Addiction fell in love with drumming by watching jazz greats like Gene Krupa, Buddy Rich and Joe Morello and how that sensibility still informs their playing, even if it's hard to find under all the hard rock ballistics. And it makes people want to dance. You know, you play a nice... going to make somebody feel a certain way you know when somebody starts tapping their foot you know you're in there the difference between playing that and playing jazz you know you want that to feel good until rock and roll came along in the 50s very very few pieces of popular music had a straight eight that 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 it was all da 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 so everything i heard had that in it and when i started to play even if the basis of the song was a da 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 da. In my head, I'd still be feeling, where does the swing come in it? And even if I wasn't playing the note, I'd be thinking it. The film is at its best when it focuses on the music itself and the player's analysis of their art form, but it occasionally drifts into distractions and side issues. Life on the road as a young drummer in your first band, an extended and unnecessary diversion into the tabloid life of The Who's Keith Moon, which adds nothing much to our understanding of his musicianship. There are also unexpected insights into the domestic lifestyle of these players. Does Nick Mason really have a vintage Formula One car in his lounge? Ian Pace sitting in his farmhouse kitchen putting another log on the fire? Rat Scabies from The Damned appears to live in a pub. Members of the Drummers Union will enjoy Count Me In, 
But like me, you'll be left wanting more. But it's fitting and entirely coincidental, I think, that it should arrive on screens in the same week that we lost the Rolling Stones' Charlie Watts. The outpouring of love and respect for Charlie has also helped shine a light on those guys and girls who spend their working lives looking at the backs of their colleagues from 20 feet away. If you listen to the beginning of Honky Tonk Woman by the Rolling Stones, it starts out at a certain tempo. And this is the great Charlie Watts, one of the best all-time drummers ever. And by the end, he's probably like, if it starts at 103, he's probably at 109 or something. You don't sit there and go, oh, God, that song's really speeding up. It just naturally, that's how they play it. Count Me In is rated 13 plus and it's streaming on Netflix now. Well, I failed to make it handsome, but I gave it strength and grace. <laughs> what an achievement! Unsurpassed in scientific endeavor, my God. The madness of that night, the heat, the sweat, the infusions. And the moment I saw it just crawl towards me and I... You ran away. What? You abandoned me. It speaks... Yes, Frankenstein. It speaks... You know my name. My journal. Why did you abandon me? I was terrified... What had I done? Built a man and given him life. Well, now I have come to take it away. Have you? I have come to kill you. Kill me, then. Why did you create me? To prove that I could. With all this enforced domestic time on our hands, we have an opportunity to try something a bit different. Launched without fanfare last year, the UK's Royal National Theatre have put a rolling selection of their famous NT Live televised theatre productions online for us all to see. Originally meant for live screening in cinemas, simultaneous with the actual performance from the South Bank in London and with additional replay screenings, it was always imagined that these productions would never be available at home. The rights issues and the extra cost of paying the performers always seemed insurmountable, not to mention the fact that having so much great theatre available at your fingertips might actually cannibalise the market for the real thing. But then Covid came along and theatres around the world had to close. Companies like the National were forced to pivot to something different in order to survive the crisis. We've watched a couple of productions in the last few weeks, and will continue to dip in as new shows are added. The multi-award-winning 2017 production of Tony Kushner's Angels in America, which starred Andrew Garfield and Nathan Lane, was the first, a show which also transferred to Broadway in 2018. And last week, we watched Benedict Cumberbatch and Johnny Lee Miller in Nick Deere's adaptation of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. I could have sworn it was only five years since that production screened in cinemas, so imagine my surprise to discover that it is the 10th anniversary this year. The conceit of this production, at least one conceit of many, is that Cumberbatch and Miller both performed the lead roles, a Frankenstein the scientist and Frankenstein's monster the monster, swapping at alternate performances. 
We watched the Cumberbatch as Monster version, but both are available, and there's an opportunity there for educators as well as theatre professionals to compare and contrast the two approaches. The son becomes the father, the master, the slave. I have led him across the Black Sea through Tartary and Russia. I have led him out past Archangel and onto the ice. We go north, always north. His dogs are dead, his supplies exhausted, but we have a compact we must keep. He lives for my destruction. I live to lead him on. Frankenstein! Come! If you haven't seen subsidised British theatre in its pomp, you will be amazed at the production values on display in this show. The giant Olivier Theatre has a size and scale that in New Zealand we normally devote to public car parking buildings. What I can only describe as a corkscrew revolving stage with huge set elements rising up from the floor as the stage spins. And all the elements feature on stage. Earth, fire, water. The design by Mark Tildesley uh, with costumes by Satirat and Lalab have a steampunk aesthetic which was very much in vogue at the time but looks slightly out of date now. The plot hews pretty closely to Mary Shelley's novel. Victor Frankenstein, obsessed with the electrochemical properties of life, constructs a creature from scavenged body parts and manages to awaken it. Horrified by what he's made, Frankenstein abandons the creature, who is forced to learn the ways of men, while at the same time being scorned and despised by them. But he's a quick learner, and after a year living with a blind philosopher in the Swiss mountains, a sojourn that does not end well, the creature determines to go to Geneva and reckon with his creator, and bargain for a companion. This also does not go well. Are you proud of me? Proud? No. Why not? Because your logic is flawed. Is it? Is it? it? You say you'll go abroad and disappear, yet you also say you yearn to be accepted by society. But wouldn't you go tired of exile? Won't you return and try once more to live amongst people, only to meet with their detestation? Because that is what you will meet with. Only now when you run wild, there will be two of you, and double the destruction. Why should I facilitate this? Because I am lonely. Every creature has a mate, every bird in the sky, even you, are to be married. Why would you deny me the comforts you allow yourself a moment ago? You were amazed at my intellect, but now you harden your heart. Please do not be inconsistent. I find it infuriating. This production is directed by Danny Boyle, who at the time was on top of the world after his best directing Oscar for Slumdog Millionaire, and was about to start work on arguably the greatest theatrical event that London would ever see, the opening ceremony for the 2012 Olympics. I've always found it hard to warm to Benedict Cumberbatch, to suspend my disbelief, and this production is no different. He's a head actor, I think. I've always felt like I can see the wheels turning in his noggin. But this performance demands a loose-limbed physicality that I'm not sure he fully relaxes into. 
Heavily made up with the suture scars all over his body, he shows the physical and cognitive development of the creature well enough, but I sensed the decision-making at every turn. Miller as Victor Frankenstein is excellent, though, despite the character being one-note dislikable. But the most conventionally natural performance is from Naomi Harris as his doomed fiance Elizabeth. That wasn't a spoiler, by the way. It's Frankenstein. They're all doomed. Why must you go to England? Because in England they are at the forefront of electrochemistry. I've heard of real breakthroughs by vitalists, galvanists. I must go and see for myself. And for that you'll put off our wedding? Yes. It's critical for my experiments. What are your experiments? I'd say that they're beyond a woman's scope. Which part might be beyond my scope? All of it, actually. Are you suggesting I'm less intelligent than you? Yes. I mean, less educated. Well, that's hardly my fault. I wasn't allowed to go to school. But I can learn, Victor. I could be your assistant. (laughs) Frankenstein doesn't have a classification or rating on the NT Live site, but suffice to say that the content is aimed at older viewers. A monthly subscription costs $18.95, so it's up there in terms of cost, but there's nothing like it anywhere else. Also currently available to watch at ntathome.com are productions of classics like All My Sons, A Midsummer Night's Dream and Three Sisters. So there's plenty for the theatre-mad members of your family to enjoy. It's a wonderful feeling. That's a good feeling. Sometimes it's a heartbreaking thing because, you know, they won't get parole. You've been preparing them and the parole board just... Yes, yes. Uh, Anyway... Anyway. You're fighting the the good fight. <laughs> I don't know. I I'm trying. So, yeah. I'm trying. The, the the main thing is the connection with the women. Mm. Is just such a gift. It's everything. It's a gift. What about you, Bert? What have you been up to? Oh well, not much, really. Not much. I I don't advocate for anybody except I advocate for women's brassieres, basically. Just. For uh, I, I, I sell lingerie. Last week I mentioned that there are a few local on-demand video rental offerings from the likes of Academy Cinemas in Auckland and RO Video in Wellington. Businesses like those have been hard hit by the lockdowns as in-person entertainment dries up and product is delayed. Both have a very similar selection, although, as you might expect, RO Video has a strong catalogue of classic movies along with the more contemporary titles. And Steven Soderbergh's experimental, improvisational chamber comedy, Let Them All Talk, is available on both. It's about three friends who take a transatlantic crossing together on the Queen Mary 2. The trip is organised by Alice, a successful author played by Meryl Streep. She has to go to England to pick up a prestigious literary prize, but can't fly for medical reasons. She's also seriously writer's blocked, and her new agent, Karen, played by Gemma Chan, is nervously awaiting a new manuscript. To help unblock her, she invites two of her oldest friends, Susan, played by Diane Wiest, and Roberta, played by a razor-sharp Candice Bergen, and also her nephew, Tyler, played by Lucas Hedges, to act as her assistant on the voyage. How are you? 
Fine. So I am very frustrated right now. Oh, dear. <laughs> I know. Um, I called ahead. Are you Carol? No, I am Roberta, no, as I you can see. I do see if it. If you have eyeballs. <laughs> I do. Okay, I called ahead and spoke to someone named Carol, who perhaps was your manager. I don't know. I don't want to get you in trouble. But she did tell me that you have a peacock blue panty and bra set. And that is what I'm here for. And all I am seeing is teal. So. Can I just point out that the difference between teal and peacock is as fine as a hair. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe to you. I have a really highly developed sense of color. I'm a designer. There's too much yellow in this. Now, let me help you understand. There's going to be a reckoning involved at some point, as Roberta and Susan believe that Alice took details from their lives for her earliest, most successful books, and then, out of guilt, perhaps drifted out of touch with them. They believe that they haven't been invited on this voyage to rekindle old friendships, but to reveal what's happened to them over the last 30 years, so that Anne can finish her sequel to the original book. Meanwhile, Agent Karen is also secretly on the ocean liner, trying to glean details of the new book so that she can save her own career. Coincidentally, another well-known author is on the trip. Who knew that New York to Southampton by ship was still so popular? He's the suave thriller writer Kelvin Krantz, whose books outsell Anne's by a significant factor, and who clearly doesn't have a problem with writer's block. Who? Who is he? Krantz. He's a huge mystery writer. He's written hundreds of books. Have you read any of them? Oh, almost all of them. (laughs) Every one of them. Some twice. Good Lord. How is that possible? How is it possible? No, it's a thriller. He's not like you. He's nothing like you at all. He's a thriller, a mystery writer, a thriller writer. Yes, I I understand. What I don't understand is how people, how you can read it. The the prose just, that kind of writing seems to me like the the prose seems like styrofoam or something. But it's it's, plot driven. Yes, but the plots are so simplified. It's like a jigsaw puzzle, you know, you match the color and the shape and then you put it all together. It's all very packed, neat and done. And then you know, it's a picture that's uh, completely unrelated to life. Life is a mystery. Let Them All Talk is a film about friendship and what happens when you don't tend the garden. These are always watchable performers, but Soderbergh's production method, I think, makes it less successful than it might be. Filmed over two weeks on the actual Queen Mary 2, that's enough time for a return voyage, I think, using natural light and only a sound recordist as additional crew encouraging the performers to improvise most of their scenes around credited screenwriter Deborah Eisenberg's story outline. Soderbergh has always been known for being fleet and light on his feet, but I think this group of characters perhaps needed a little more time to cook. Going back through the film to find audio moments to clip for you, I was struck by how unfocused individual scenes could be. But there are some delicious moments, and it's a fine showcase for these veteran performers. And the conclusion is genuinely moving. When we had dinner at the bar afterward, then you went upstairs and went to bed, and it was just me and Alice. And I thought, well, Alice has always been interested in other people's lives. And then I made the fatal mistake of telling Alice everything. 
I realize is if you can't keep a secret yourself, you can't ask anyone else to keep a secret. It's true. It's true. Let Them All Talk is rated M for language, and you can rent it at academycinemas.co.nz, rovideo.co.nz, or one of the global media giants. But don't do that. Buy local. I'm 36 years old. I have a wife, a child, and a mortgage, and I'm scared to death I'm turning into my father. What's your father got to do with all of this? I never forgave him for getting old. At the time he was old as I am now, he was ancient. I mean, he must have had dreams. But he never did anything about him. For all I know, he may have even heard voices too, but he sure didn't listen to them. Man never did one spontaneous thing in all the years I knew him. And I'm afraid of that happening to me. And something tells me that this may be my last chance to do something about it. Finally, I want to remind you that not everything you need to watch during lockdown has to be new. It doesn't even have to be new to you. In times of uncertainty, there's a great mental benefit, I think, in wrapping yourself up in the familiar, something you know and trust that can always be relied on to make you feel good. Whether it's The Princess Bride, Dirty Dancing or The Castle, I do believe we all have a selection of films that we can watch regularly, as often as once a year. Not a ritual like a Christmas movie, but more because of what it does for your soul. It might remind you of a time when you first saw it. It might be a film that's rich enough for your appreciation of it to grow and change as you yourself grow older. I don't know what your one is, but I want to make a case for one of mine. 1989's magic realism baseball movie Field of Dreams, written and directed by Phil Alden Robinson, based on the novella Shoeless Joe by W.P. Kinsella. I watched it again last night through a thin veil of tears. It makes me so happy. It stars Kevin Costner at the peak of his Hollywood everyman phase as Ray, a reluctant Iowa farmer who hears a voice in his cornfield one day telling him that if you build it, he will come. Baseball fan Ray thinks that means that if he ploughs under a few acres of his crops and installs a pitching mount, bases, home plate and lights for night games, then disgraced former White Sox hitter Shoeless Joe Jackson will come back and play ball one more time. Of course, it's not quite that simple, and the voice starts making even more cryptic demands. Something's going to happen to the game. I don't know what, but there's something at Fenway Park, and i got to be there with Terrence Mann to find it out. Is Fenway the one with the big green wall in left field? Yeah. I dreamt last night you were at Fenway with Terrence Mann. Was I sitting on the first base side? Yes. About halfway up on the aisle? Yeah, you were keeping score. I was eating a hot, hot dog. dog. I had the same dream. <laughs> I've never seen a game of baseball and have no great desire to. As far as I'm concerned, baseball only exists so that people can make great films inspired by it. Bull Durham, 
a league of their own, Moneyball. But Field of Dreams is the best. The more you watch it, the more you get out of it. You soon realise that baseball is just context and that what you are watching is a gentle portrait of intergenerational angst, a changing America, a family that's found love and now has to work out how to send that love where it's needed. On Ray's quixotic journey, he meets a disaffected author, an ageing country doctor and a wide-eyed young ball player and his mission is to discover the connection between them and to him. The cast is magnificent. Amy Madigan is Ray's wife, Annie, a dream wife, you might say. Ray Liotta plays Shoeless Joe, and James Earl Jones is the reclusive voice of the 60s, Terence Mann. But most marvellous, in his final big-screen performance, is legend Burt Lancaster, who gets the magical tone so perfectly you'd swear he has a permanent twinkle in his eye. This time around... I was struck by the spiritual dimension. I've always been moved by the family stuff. But that sense of embracing the unknown, the adventure beyond the life we have here, was what I felt most strongly last night. Or maybe it's just the acceptance of the unknown, the unknowable, that I felt. Anyway, I'll have to watch it again next year to see what I can learn from it then. People will come, Ray. They'll come to Iowa. For reasons they can't even fathom. They'll turn up your driveway, not knowing for sure why they're doing it. They'll arrive at your door, as innocent as children, longing for the past. Of course, we won't mind if you look around, you'll say. It's only $20 per person. They'll pass over the money without even thinking about it. For it is money they have, and peace they like. Ray, just sign the papers. Field of Dreams is rated PG and is available for rental from Apple or Microsoft for $7.99. Or, when alert levels allow, you can rent the Blu-ray from Alice in Videoland in Christchurch. I recommend their subscription offers if you aren't able to visit them in person. And that's our program for this week. We're playing ourselves out with one of the featured tunes from the documentary Count Me In. Keith Moon, having the time of his life drumming on the Who's Who Are You, released in July 1978, two months before he died. I'm Dan Slevin and you can find me on Twitter as at Dan Slevin, that's all one word, and there's more of me at rnz.co.nz forward slash widescreen. At the Movies, we'll be back at more or less the same time next week with more selections from the world of online and theatrical screen entertainment. Please join us then. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.